0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Foreigners and Strangers podcast. It's been a while. It really has. I'm glad to be back behind the microphone because i uh, got a lot to say. So if I sound a little different today, that's because I have updated my software that I used to record to the podcast. But nobody cares about that. People want to know about the Bible, and that's what we're going to be getting into today. Uh, before we get into that, though, just want to real quick make some announcements, you know, announcements are very epic you know at church on sunday so figured i might as well bring some to the podcast as well first of all i'm going to be going through a study series of the book of hebrews on the podcast because uh, i've been going through that book with my times with god and i'm like this is such a misunderstood book in christian culture because this is often one where we just go straight to like the ending portion where it like kind of sums up what it's talking about. And we don't really get into the weeds of, like, chapters 2 through, like, 10. We skip to the Hall of Faith in chapter 11, uh, the Cloud of Witnesses in chapter 12, and Jesus Christ being the same yesterday, today, and forever in chapter 13. And then we're we're basically done with the book. But no, there's so much more that I really want to go through. And since our church is going through the book of Hebrews on Sundays, starting... In a couple weeks, I really want to get the jump on that and be like, Yo, I, I I can actually help supplement because I really like the book of Hebrews, it's one of my favorite books. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that. But all that aside, uh, today's going to be a little more of a serious kind of episode. It's going, I really wanted to talk about the Derek Chauvin guilty verdict. So, right off the bat, uh, this episode's gonna ruffle some feathers. I'm not- I'm gonna be upfront about that because, uh, that- that's what we do around here. We- we ruffle some feathers. A lot. So if you do happen to want to tell me how wrong I am, or, uh, tell me just, uh, how misguided I am as far as the whole situation, feel free to send me an email. The link will be down in the show notes. It's gmail.com That email might change soon, so, um... Just just be on the lookout. I'll update the show notes if the if the email changes. But there's been a lot flying around, especially after the verdict, and a lot of different people are feeling a lot of different emotions about it. There's a, temperatures running hot. and that's not to say an opinion one way or another, but what I'm trying to say is the response I've seen from Christians about the guilty verdict has been not only disappointing and discouraging for many, but it's genuinely been bordering on evil. And I know we don't like to use that word as a modern culture in such a serious context like this, but I seriously think we've lost sight of the fact that there is truly evil in this world. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if you responded in a specific way to the, to the guilty verdict, you're automatically an evil person who needs to repent. I'm not saying that. That's not my place. What I'm saying is that Satan uses all kinds of evil methods to sow division between man and man and even worse, between man and God. And so to prevent that division, or at least address that, we're going to be going and looking at the text today. And let me also say this isn't subtweeting my friends or anything, as this is like a widespread observation from many Christians of several different denominations, so please don't feel like any one person made me make this episode. I wanted to make it on my own, I was prompted by what I've seen, and I was very, very discouraged, so... Like, especially in cases like the Chauvin trial, we're very quick to cast stones against anyone who doesn't agree with us, and there's been a lot of that. A lot of that going around recently. And let me be abundantly clear right now, because I know I've been kind of ambiguous with it. I will not be putting my flag in either turf. Let me say that again. I will not be putting my flag on either turf in this podcast. And if that bothers you, then your time would probably be better spent listening to something else because nothing I'm going to say here is likely going to impact you in any way. I'll kind of divide this into points so it's a lot more organized. So point one is the days are evil. And I touched on this a bit already when I said like a lot of the responses I've seen are bordering on evil, but the days are evil. That's in scripture. And actually, that scripture is a lot more applicable to the point that I originally anticipated, so I'm going to I'm gonna throw that in. Uh, that'll be in the show notes, but it's Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's going to be a future point that we're going to go through, but let me... Let me kind of set the scene by saying this. Sin ultimately corrupts God's very good creation, his tove meod creation. And we all know that, especially if we've been if we've grown up in church. We've all been taught like sin is what corrupts God's good creation, that kind of thing. But oftentimes we're also told that we're just passing through, we're not of this world and be yeah, like be in the world not of the world, that's a common statement. And I think those have been driven into the ground so hard that we might as well just put them on bumper stickers and in our Instagram bios. Because from my observation, a majority of Christian culture doesn't truly acknowledge any of these things at all. But what is it that makes the world evil? Is it Derek Chauvin? Is it racism? Is it those who choose to sow political and racial division? No, it's not. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we've heard the scripture mostly in the context of how we must put on like, the full armor of God and stuff. But to fully understand the concepts of the full armor of God, we need this scripture to know what we're supposed to be standing firm against rulers and authorities now that's a really odd scripture because if you've been listening to my podcast for a little while we've gone over the scriptures that say we are to submit to governing authorities and don't get me wrong we are but i think here paul is pointing out the devil's ability to use governing authorities and rulers for his evil purposes and some of you to that might be like oh that's why we need to fight for change within the government and the issue with that is this, once the system is changing, once the system changes, Satan is simply gonna use the next governing authority for his evil purposes as well. And that's the issue with fixing worldly issues with worldly solutions, like political change and that kind of thing. Political change is going to be overshadowed by spiritual change in every single circumstance. Every single time. So yes, Paul acknowledges the physical evil but he shifts the focus to the spiritual evil because we can't solve worldly problems with worldly solutions because those aren't lasting solutions at all. Cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, our battle goes beyond what's physically tangible, and the Bible makes it clear that there are demonic forces at work. And they're at work to bring the world to destruction. And I know in modern culture saying something is demonic makes people think you're taking like crazy pills or something. And that's where the problem is. The way I've heard it said, the way I've heard it taught to me is that Satan knows he cannot destroy the world. But he does have influence over the hearts of humans. Therefore, his plan is to turn the hearts of humans against God. So God is pushed to destroy his own creation. And you might be like, oh, that just sounds ridiculous. And if you think that, just remember that this exact thing has already happened. That's the exact point of the story of Noah in Genesis. And the best method Satan has to accomplish the goal is to make the world ignore the spiritual reality. And from my observation in recent years, it has really started working. And that brings me to point two, a new lens of spirituality. And I want to draw your attention to Derek Shelvin for a moment. Most people have condemned his actions last May. Not without reason, of course. However, like I said earlier, we're so quick to cast stones because of how the violence makes us feel. And as humans, we need someone to blame for nefarious crimes and nefarious actions. But let me alter this equation a little bit. Let me present to you a scenario. If Derek Shelvin walked into your church, and let's forget the conviction in the jail for the sake of the scenario, but if Derek Shelvin walked into your church saying, Hey, I, I want to get my heart right with God, how would you react? And some of you might say, Wow, that's awesome. However, I guarantee, without doubt, most of you would be skeptical at the very least. Why? Because we've seen this before, go back and read Acts chapter 9. Saul was literally a terrorist. Because terrorism is defined as striking fear into the hearts of a specific population for the sake of an ideological goal. That was Saul of Tarsus. And we looked at his story a few podcasts ago, so I won't get into it here. But I think without that spiritual lens, we tend to look at people as merely the sum of their actions. We don't look at them within their capacity to repent and turn to God because of the things we've seen them do. If Derek Chauvin walked into our churches, most of us would think, isn't this the guy who put his knee on George Floyd's neck while he said he couldn't breathe? How would that make anyone from that kind of background feel if they were genuinely seeking God? You have to remember that Jesus himself appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus and told him, while he was still a terrorist, that he was chosen as God's chosen instrument. 2 Corinthians 5.16 From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's the worldly point of view? Exactly how the Christians treated Saul. And that's why we need the change of perspective. We will turn more souls away from God through judging people based on their past actions. So we have to view them within their capacity that God has given them to repent and turn to him. And we often look at various scriptures of upholding the cause of the oppressed and such But we never preach repentance and the kingdom of God to the supposed oppressors. And that's a problem. Our hearts should break equally for the sinner and for the victims of sin. And the reason for this is, what is an oppressor but those who are oppressed by the yoke of sin? I want to talk for a moment about these justice scriptures, because in the past year that people have been using them for these kinds of justice things, they almost never use them correctly. Especially over the past couple days, I've seen people celebrate the justice of the whole uh, Derek Shelvin verdict scenario by citing scriptures like Micah chapter 6 verse 8. I'm going to read that real quick. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And the issue with these scriptures is the fact that our American view of justice is so incredibly different. It's so incredibly skewed. From the use of the word in all the scriptures that have been cited, that they genuinely cannot be applied in these contexts. Because the word for justice in these scriptures in Hebrew, a lot of you may know this, is mishpat. Mishpat is the concept of restorative justice. The concept of justice that helps put the world back together. Mishpat is people giving justice to the oppressed. Biblically, the oppressed are seen, uh, especially in Torah as the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And this is a whole concept that I don't really have time to get into right now, but I will say that in most of the parables of Jesus where mercy and compassion are shown, you will see a deliberate illustration by Jesus that expresses what mishpat looks like. And you might be saying, well, yeah, isn't that what happened with the Derek Chauvin trial? Not by a long shot. The Hebrew has another word for justice, and that word is din. D-I-Y-N dean this is retributive justice for perspective on this concept of dean i'm going to link something in the show notes but basically dean is only properly executed when it is god because god is the only one who can render that kind of judgment when you see scriptures like it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord that is dean when humans try to execute dean it never goes well In the human sense, this is the kind of justice that wants the perpetrator to suffer the consequences more than they want the world put back together. And for a few examples from scripture, it's the kind of justice invoked when Noah cursed Canaan. It's the kind of justice invoked when the 11 other tribes nearly drove the tribe of Benjamin to extinction at the end of the book of Judges. It's the kind of justice that Jonah wished God would show upon Nineveh, but God showed his mercy upon their repentance. We have all these examples of legitimate sins with legitimate consequences because of Deen. Because God desires Mishpat over Deen. He desires restoration over retribution every single time. Point three, go sin no more. I'm going to read a portion of the text. It's out of John chapter eight, verses two through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. This is a story that we need to hear and constantly remind ourselves of. We live in a world where we hear the scripture, Judge not, lest you be judged, and we still find a way to do mental gymnastics around that scripture to justify ourselves judging other people. It's one of the hardest scriptures to obey in the age where everyone's mistakes and flaws are plastered all over social media and we're all riled up to give our opinion and condemn other people. It's a huge mess. That's why we need this story of Jesus and the adulterous woman. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. There's actually a line in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar that phrases it in very blatant terms, and I really like this, how it's phrased here. If your slate is clean, then you can throw stones. If your slate is not, then leave her alone. You see, the Pharisees were the ones who knew the law better than anyone. They knew the customs and what their culture called for in terms of the adulterous woman. And how does Jesus respond to this? He writes on the ground gotta say not the first choice of what i would do but the pharisees want him to respond in a specific way like the scripture says they set it up to trap him but he doesn't he bends down and he writes in the dirt while well, the response of the pharisees is immediate judgment and seeking justice according to the law in this case it would be dean the reason why it would be dean is because they had completely lost the heart behind why the law was given in the first place jesus's first response is to forgive. He charges the woman with this. Neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Were not the Pharisees justified in stoning the woman according to the law? They absolutely were. Jesus instead shows them a better way, the way of forgiveness. What's our response going to be? Even beyond just current events, Are we going to respond as the Pharisees, or are we going to respond as the Lord did? With mercy and compassion. And believe me, for some it's harder to forgive people like Chauvin than others. I understand that, because it hits closer to home for some people more than others. I understand that. Please understand that I have no authority to order you to forgive anyone, but if I didn't at least put it out there for you to wrestle with, I would be doing a great disservice to the Lord and to scriptures. And again, you might disagree with the things I've mentioned today, especially with playing down the middle and not planting a flag in either camp. But consider for a second that Jesus chose that route when he bent down to write on the ground. that's about all I have to say for this podcast. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, roasts, probably will be a lot of those, be sure to send me an email, foreignersandstrangers at gmail.com. Like I said at the start of the podcast, that might be changing soon. Don't know, but it will be down in the show notes. And again, we got the series on Hebrews coming up, so that's pretty epic. I'm probably going to do an intro episode coming up next week. Very excited for that. Hopefully, you guys are too. If you're not, I'm sorry, but Hebrews is what we're doing today. But yeah, I will catch you guys all in the next episode.